The following message was given by Jeff Shinella, a pastoral intern at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Good morning. Uh, I hope you've just been as blessed as I have this morning by just the worship and our time together so far. I've just felt very touched by the Lord, and I hope you are feeling that as well. Uh, For those who don't know me, my name is Jeff Shinella. I am a pastoral intern on the leadership team, um, and it is such a privilege to open God's Word with you today. It it is a privilege for many reasons, one being that this church is very, very dear to me. Uh, Many of you I've known for a long time, and I praise God that I'm meeting new people every week. Uh, But regardless of whether I personally know you that well or not, I'm especially aware as I stand here today that each and every one of you was fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our God and our Creator. And there are massive implications to that truth. That truth is the source of human dignity. It's the source of the sacred nature and value of all human life. It's why things like murder are such heinous acts. It's why untold resources are poured into things like nursing the tiniest, most helpless infants in NICUs, or preventing suicide or caring for those with disabilities. It's because we are made in the image of God. And it's why getting to proclaim the word of God this morning, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, is just about the greatest privilege imaginable. Truly, because whether you're standing in a pulpit, or you're chatting in a checkout line, or you're kneeling next to your child's bed, pointing another soul to the one who is the source of all life and goodness is an incredible, credible thing. I love how C.S. Lewis illuminates this reality. Uh, you can listen to this slightly lengthy quote. He says, Remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That is a weighty truth. All day long, we are in some degree pointing each other, guiding each other toward one of two ends. There isn't a mere mortal in this room. So what that says to me is that we must take care. 
I must take care. Because even though I can't force you to go down the right path, I cannot make you believe in Christ or obey Him, I have to point you in the right direction. Our passage today is Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And Nick preached last week on verses 1 through 9. And verses 10 through 20 are really just a continuation of that same scene. You could maybe summarize the first half as the actual confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees, and the second half is his teaching in light of the controversy that we learned about last week. The first part deals with a dispute over authority, and the second is Jesus' authoritative word on what defiles a person. So, quick recap of part one before we read um, the verses for today. The Pharisees, once again, confront Jesus. And why? How has Jesus offended them this time? Well, for not making his disciples wash their hands before eating. You know, that's quite the scandal. But as we learned last week, hygiene isn't the real issue. If it were, you might be tempted to think that the Pharisees are you know, just starting to grasp at straws now, getting desperate to catch Jesus in some sort of misstep. I mean, back in Matthew 9, you might remember that they were upset over Jesus claiming to have authority to forgive sins. And that one at least kind of feels like a big deal, right? The conflict was something like this. Hey, Jesus, who do you think you are? You know, only God can forgive sins. Oh, really? Well, let me just uh, heal this paralyzed man and show you what kind of authority the Son of Man has. In comparison, washing hands seems pretty trivial. But we shouldn't miss the significance of what's being disputed. The Pharisees aren't being petty. They are defending a system. They're defending a way of life, or you could even think of it like a structure that they have placed themselves on top of. In this system, they've declared themselves the judges. They've said, we are the gatekeepers of who can get to God. And Jesus comes along and says, you don't even know the way to God. You are blind guides. So, Let's read our passage now, and we'll see the difference between a reliable guide and a blind guide. But actually, I would like to pray before we do so. Father, as I read your word, I pray that you, by your spirit, would give us understanding. Lord, use my words in any way that you would please to illuminate your word. And I pray, Father, that you would go before me. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. <clears throat> and he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this 
defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. This is the word of God. One of the best-selling books of all time was second only to the Bible for generations is a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's written in 1678 by John Bunyan. It has remained in print ever since. It's a story about a man named Christian who sets out on a journey to reach the celestial city, which is heaven. The story is an allegory for the Christian life. That means that the places that Christian goes to and the people that he meets represent the kinds of encounters that you and I can expect to have as we walk through this life. Certainly one of the reasons the book has endured for so long is because despite being about 350 years old, it resonates so deeply with our own experience of trying to live as Christians in this world. Like Ecclesiastes 1.9, what has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. It may feel like the world is changing fast enough to make your head spin, but God has seen it all before. Well, every journey has a beginning, and just like our own stories of faith, Christians begins when he meets a man named Evangelist who finds Christian deeply distressed, like almost in a panic. Christian knows that destruction is coming. He knows that death and judgment are coming, and he is desperate to escape it. But he doesn't know how. He doesn't know the way. And along comes Evangelist. Christian asks him, where must I flee? Then Evangelist said, pointing with a finger over a very wide field, do you see that narrow gate over there? The man said, no. Then said the other, do you see that shining light? He said, I I think I do. Then Evangelist said, keep that light in your eye and walk directly toward it. Then you shall see the gate at which when you knock, it shall be told you what to do. I wonder if you can relate. Was somebody evangelist in your life? And I know that not all of us can point to a single person, you know, who shared the gospel with us. Maybe you were led by the faithful witness of your parents. Or maybe there were several people who came along at just the right time, each helping you to see more and more the beauty and the truth of the gospel. But regardless, none of us found the way all by ourselves. And maybe, depending on where you're at in your journey, that doesn't exactly resonate with you. You can't really point to evangelist in your life. Well, all of us at one point or another received guidance from somebody that probably made a significant difference in our life. Maybe it pointed us Um, down a path that we otherwise wouldn't go. Maybe it sent us to a particular career. Maybe it influenced where we ended up settling down to raise a family or even the person that we pursued as a spouse. And frankly, even in all the mundane things of life, none of our decisions are made in a vacuum. You know, the types of food we eat, what sports teams we cheer for, whether we like cats. It's all been influenced by other people. The question is whether their influence is helpful. 
and whether their guidance is reliable. And if you like cats, we know the answer. <laughs> Jesus wants his disciples to be able to discern who is a reliable guide and who is a blind guide. I want this. I, for myself, for myself, I want to know, and for you. And I can assure you that very few things weigh as heavily on Nick's mind as the thought that any of you would be led astray. And there are so many voices that are calling loudly for us to follow. Isn't that pretty much what Instagram is? You know, it's influencers with followers. <laughs> follow me, well, this way, to success, to fulfillment, to peace, to health, to God. So as we consider Jesus' words, we're going to see that reliable guides know what defiles us, and they know what makes us clean. I'll say that one more time. Reliable guides know what defiles us, and they know what makes us clean. If you can discern whether the voices calling out to you are getting that right, you will be well guarded from being misled. So let's start with what defiles a person. Jesus said, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of, the, out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So if you take a step back after reading that, it seems pretty important to know both what does defile and also what does not defile. And if you take another step back, we should probably then just know what defilement is at all. Uh, you can assume that everyone involved here, they know. You know, Jesus, the Pharisees, the crowd, they, they know what's being talked about. Not, nobody is debating what defilement is, but what causes it. The original Greek word here is koinao. And whenever you want to better understand a biblical idea, an easy place to begin is to find other passages where the same topic is addressed, sometimes the same word. In this case, you can find koinao used in Hebrews 9, 13, and 14 which is comparing the Old Covenant, you can think uh, Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, with the New Covenant, a covenant of righteousness by faith, the covenant ushered in by Christ. We read, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Defiled here, contrasted with sanctified and purified. We find it again in Acts 21-28, when Paul has been preaching the gospel and he's being opposed by certain Jews in the temple. They begin falsely accusing him, saying, this is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. And finally, Revelation 21, 25 through 27 is speaking of our future hope. The new heavens and the, the new earth that God is preparing for his people, it says, its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean, that's the word, will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
To be defiled is to be spiritually unclean. It's, it's the opposite of pure, the opposite of holy. We're talking about the stain of sin, which, church, is our greatest problem. It ultimately makes a relationship with God impossible because God is holy. You know, we say that all the time, we sing it, but, but it means he is set apart. And this can be a very challenging thing to grasp for some in today's world and culture because, you know, very, very few things in our culture are just set apart, off limits. There aren't as many echoes of this idea that we feel on a regular basis. We're more accustomed to irreverence, making light of pretty much anything and everything is now the norm. But the reality is that our God dwells in unapproachable light. Evil, the word says evil, cannot dwell with him. You, I mean, remember, Adam and Eve were driven from the garden. And the defilement of sin is a problem that needs a solution. All right. If we know what defilement is, we, we need to know then what defiles and what does not defile. The Pharisees are claiming that if you eat with unwashed hands, you'll be defiled. <clears throat> and as Nick explained last week, this is getting into all those additional requirements, traditions that over time were added to God's commandments found in the Old Testament law. The Old Testament didn't say you had to wash your hands before you eat, as good of an idea as that is. It was a tradition added at some point, and probably with some really good-sounding reasons. But this is really a moment that Jesus shakes things up. Because not only does he condemn the Pharisees for adding additional requirements to God's law, but he upends their entire understanding of what defiles a person. This account can also be found in Mark chapter 7. And in, in that account, we have some additional comments that help us grasp the implications of what Jesus is saying. You can find it in Mark 7, 18 and 19. It says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. There is a reason that Christians aren't required to follow, excuse me, the dietary restrictions found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Jews did not eat pork, for instance, for thousands of years, among many other things, because to do so would defile you. You would be breaking a commandment of God. I ate pork yesterday. <laughs> The disciples didn't even grasp the extent of this massive shift until after Pentecost. We're talking after Jesus rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and his church was exploding with growth because suddenly you have all of these non-Jewish people, Greeks, or you may read in your Bibles the word Gentiles, that's what it's referring to, converting from paganism, becoming Christians. And in Acts chapter 10, you'll, you'll see Peter has a vision a vision from God which further clarifies this new freedom. You can read it on your own, but it'll help you understand. And it's not like, like non-Jewish people 
weren't doing this before. You know, there were plenty of times when a, a non-Jewish person before Christ would forsake their idols to worship the God of Abraham. It's just that when they did it then, they adopt the law and all of its requirements. Prime example being Ruth, the godly Moabite woman and the great-grandmother of King David. But if you read through the New Testament, especially Paul's letters to the churches, you will find a lot of energy spent combating the false teaching that Christians, Jew or Gentile, needed to follow all of the Mosaic law. They needed to be circumcised. And it's a little bit understandable. I mean, these practices were sacred. They shaped the Jewish identity for millennia. They, st they still do. And there was a time when just disregarding them would invite God's judgment. You're probably familiar with very, very famous scene from the Bible in Exodus chapter 3. It's when God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. He's calling him to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt. Oh, I think we all know it. But slightly less popular is Exodus chapter 4. I think there are fewer coloring pages of that scene being passed out in Sunday school because it's when Moses, he, he's on his way to Egypt to obey God with his wife and son, and it says the Lord met them as they stopped for lodging and sought to put Moses to death. I mean, we're literally sentences from, tell, my, tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and it says God sought to put Moses to death. Seemingly, we learn, because he had failed to circumcise his own son. And only after Zipporah, his wife, does so, does Moses recover. Is Moses' life spared? I might be a little nervous to let go of the law, too, with those kinds of examples. And unfortunately, this is not a false teaching that has gone away. There are still people today, I'm aware of people today, who become convinced that they must follow the Mosaic law or certain parts of it, or they will be judged. But in fact, the scriptures are clear that the opposite is true. To add, to add to the requirements of salvation, to put your hope and trust in external religious acts is to miss the gospel. It's to miss the gospel entirely. Hear this strong warning from Paul in Galatians 5. I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now, this is not saying that circumcision in itself, being circumcised, cuts you off from Christ. It's saying only that adding it as a requirement of your salvation, that's, that's the problem. Because Jesus has ushered in a new covenant, a superior covenant after fulfilling the old. Hebrews 10 says, it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins. Yes, there was a time when the blood of goats and bulls was necessary. A time 
when the law was necessary. As Galatians 3 says, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. And church, this wasn't unexpected. The prophets of the Old Testament, Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, all of them pointed to a day when things would change. We, I didn't actually know what scripture verse Tom would have in the liturgy today. I also quoted Jeremiah here saying, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Church, that day has come. Christ brought that day. Eating with unwashed hands does not defile, and, and that one never did. But now, neither does loving tax collectors and sinners by sharing a meal with them or showing mercy to an outcast by touching a man with leprosy or laying hands on the body of a dead child to raise her back to life or a hemorrhaging woman to restore her health and to remove her shame. That's what Jesus did. All acts that according to the law would have defiled him. But Jesus was never defiled. He knew no sin until the day that he became sin for us on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. So then, what does defile? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. The brilliant point that Jesus makes here is that what goes into our mouths doesn't enter our hearts. It, it just passes through. But what comes out of the mouth is from our hearts. What we do, what we say, how we think. In essence, you don't need to worry about something on the outside defiling you because the thing that is defiled is you. It's your nature, our nature, our hearts. We are sinful. The human heart is wicked. And we know that because of what comes out of it. Now, this list here, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, it, it's not exhaustive, but it's enough to drive the point home. I mean, no one is escaping that list unscathed. And let's not forget the Sermon on the Mount from a few chapters ago where Jesus equates lust with adultery. He equates hatred with murder. And if you go to that Mark account, it also includes things like envy, greed, arrogance, or pride. Again, the point isn't to just list every possible sin. It's to show that the problem is in here. It's, it's not out there. Washing your hands and wearing certain clothes and eating certain foods does not stop us from hating one another. It doesn't stop you from cursing someone in your heart. If they cut you off in traffic 
or, or say something rude to you. It doesn't stop us from jealously desiring what our brother or sister has. It doesn't stop us from breaking our marriage vows in thought or deed. And as I think an important aside, I do want to make something else clear because I'm aware that some of the things that I said about the law could be misapplied or misinterpreted. There are some who claim that because certain formal requirements of the Mosaic Law are no longer required, that everything from the Old Testament can be ignored or conveniently just reinterpreted. And this is why, once again, we need to know God's Word and be on guard against the temptation to deceive ourselves and justify sinful behavior. I don't know of a single list of vices or sins like the one here in Jesus. There's plenty of times where the, throughout the epistles in the New Testament, it's a list of you know, works of the flesh or, or, or sin. Um, and I don't know a single time that it does not include a warning against sexual immorality. In fact, it's one of the sins that gets highlighted for its particularly destructive nature. 1 Corinthians 6 Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And honestly, it wasn't even until this morning that I saw the connection in that verse with what we were just talking about, this idea of what's external not defiling us, but what's inside, and how, how sexual immorality is the only sin that is not committed outside of the body, but inside of the body. It's that destructive. No one seems to be arguing that, well, since Christ fulfilled the law, we can now dishonor our parents, worship idols, covet, steal, and murder. That's not happening. But there are people trying to justify other acts. But God created our bodies, and then he purchased our bodies with the blood of Christ. His design for the sexual expression of those bodies within marriage did not change at the cross. If you have questions about that, this area, we would love to talk to you. Um, we can examine God's word together. Because, again, church, we are free in Christ. That is clear. But let's not forget what that freedom is for. Again, in Galatians, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I wanted to close with the best part. Because obviously knowing what defiles you and knowing what doesn't is good and it's helpful, but not as helpful if you don't know how to be made clean. Because again, we've learned we, we are defiled in our hearts. What we've done has defiled us. And I had... Um, originally intended on 
closing with an illustration back from the Pilgrim's Progress because there's this really neat scene where Christian, you know, he finds that narrow gate and he goes down the king's highway and he's misled a few times by some blind guides, um, but he comes to the cross, you know, and it's just a really powerful scene where he's, his burden is lifted and, you know, he's given new clothing and all of that. Um, but this week, my aunt passed away um, just several days ago. And so the last few days have been a bit of a whirlwind. I hopped on a flight Friday morning, spent time with family, um, many of whom I hadn't seen in a really long time, and then I flew back last night and got in this morning, (laughs) basically, around uh, a little after midnight. Um, And it just felt like the Lord was directing me in a different way to share just about the the blood of Christ and how precious it is to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. Um, My aunt knew the Lord. She was my mom's older sister. My mom was one of 11. And um, and my mom, being no, not really anywhere near the oldest, was actually the first to pass away some time ago. But um, this was the first sister who passed away. And she was one who um, used to babysit me a lot. And her kids are quite a bit older than me. A couple of them were actually my godparents. And um, so, so much of this time on Friday um, was spent like going through old pictures. And I was you know, seeing myself younger than my own kids. I was seeing pictures of my mom um, at my age now and even younger. And I was just once again struck by the brevity of life. And, and I was just moved in a particular way um, because at the funeral service, you know, I was reminded again how my aunt was a reverent woman. She, she had placed her faith in Christ, and I don't think she, she wasn't one to put on airs. She knew that her only hope in life and in death was that her sins would be forgiven. You know, she wasn't one to pretend that she was perfect. She knew and trusted that Christ covered it all, that, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And I am just reminded of how precious that is, seeing many who've now gone before me and awaiting a day when because of the blood of Jesus, because of the victory that he has purchased for us. Death is not the end. That whole journey of Christians to get to the celestial city is the, it's the prequel. You know, life, we can say life begins with Christ, but it really begins when all of our sins are fully and completely washed away, never to corrupt us anymore, never to defile us again, so that in heaven, in that glorious celestial city, we will be clean. We will dwell within the light of God. There will be no sun. There will be no night. He will be our light. And that is only 
possible, church. It is only possible because Jesus shed his blood for you. That is what cleanses. Washing your hands does not cleanse. Coming here every Sunday, apart from your faith in him, does not cleanse. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all your sins. And I pray that you would know that this morning. I pray that you would experience that. And I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you again for the many examples in my life, like Aunt Mary, like my own mom, who knew that they, apart from you, were nothing, could do nothing, could never stand before the judgment. Lord, let that be our example as we come together, Sunday after Sunday. Let it be our example that we're not here to pretend that we're holy. We are just washed, washed by the blood of Christ, that our victory is in him, and that that is why we stand and worship. That is why we do, why we serve one another, why we forgive one another, because we've been forgiven of so much, never to be able to repay, never needing to repay. Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your word that guides us all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Jeff Shinella given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.